You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. So, okay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. My name is Rachel Lally, and you may have heard me before in the podcast, but I am doing an Irish invasion of the podcast. I'm taking over from KV, as we fondly call him in Ireland, Cambalante, uh, and I am taking over for this week's episode. And I am joined this week by Daryl Parson of Solstice fame. And uh, we have, we met, I was trying to think about this thing, we met under an umbrella on the top of the Austrian mountains. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, the, the arm, the new take arm, the uh, mountains got a very special place in my heart and it was great to uh, meet you up there. Absolutely. Um, can you move a slightly closer to your PC? I'm just worried about the sound. So, oh, sorry. Yeah, I've, got, I've got the sound going through my headset, so okay, uh, hopefully okay. it'll work. But, uh, Good stuff. Darrell, where are you right now? Uh, right now, I'm in uh, a little mining village, uh, just about uh, 10 minutes drive away from Pontefract in West Yorkshire. Uh, I moved here about 10, 11 years ago and uh, spent most of my time trying to get away from the place every weekend, traveling, etc. But uh, obviously, with uh, circumstances being as they are over the last few years, I've learned to reacclimatize myself with the surroundings and realize that uh, it is a lovely place, if a little bit quiet, really. It's uh, it's an old mining village, so there's always this sense of politics and social, I wouldn't say deprivation, but certainly a sense of upheaval going on since uh, the, well, since all the industrial action happened back in the 80s and uh, you know that kind of thing carries forwards into the community today even though uh, kids around the village have no idea what the mines are really other than what their parents tell them so as i've come here as an outsider really i've uh, kind of uh, become the village weirdo so to speak and uh, gen- generally uh, f- find my way through uh, wandering around every day enjoying the surrounding farmland woods etc and just having a very peaceful life for a change and it's uh it's been a very strange experience getting used to it most definitely that sounds quite idyllic and i totally um relate with the sort of being the fish out of water having um been born in dublin and my parents moved us to kildare which was ride out in the countryside in Ireland like in a little a, a village because you de- you describe the place where you live as a village and um I haven't met many people who have lived in a village and a village is just so much smaller than <laughs> anyone gives it credit for it's hard to imagine if you've never lived in one but I know my village was pretty much a crossroads it's you, in you, Ireland, you, so, there's, so there's three pubs, <laughs> obviously, a school, a church, 
and that's pretty much it so like what's in your village well uh you've got twice as many roads as we have there's a single road that uh yeah. bisects the village from one side to the other there's a few housing estates further up the top end that have been built in recent years but uh yeah it's just one street that uh, gets blocked off amusingly whenever it snows but uh facilities there isn't much really there's a couple of corner shops uh couple of pubs not that i've ever dared go into them you know uh <laughs> really well it's it, it, it's just like they, they do have the vibe of being local pubs for local people and though oh I'm... my god I definitely like i'm like a local <laughs> in my local pub for local people my dad is like a celebrity in our local pub that's kind of oh, mad well well, well 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 in yorkshire it takes a while for people to get used to you and uh Although I'm not a Yorkshireman myself, uh, I've kind of paid my flat cap and whippet tax over the years. So it's, uh, I'll, but let's just say the neighbours are slowly getting used to me now. And uh, maybe in about 10 years, I could risk popping into the working men's clubs that I don't know. Oh my gosh, but, that's yeah. mental. Like, like the but, first thing I think my parents did when they were scoping out the house and stuff was like call into the local to see. <laughs> like my dad still goes in every week and it's like, it's like... I think when I was growing up in like rural Ireland, it was like you went to mass on a Sunday to get the kind of goss of who was going around. You know, it was after after the church, like people would be like, oh, did you hear about Moira and Maisie and whatever? And like now it's like my dad goes to the pub and it's like, that's where you hear who's well, who's sick, who needs something, who's working on what, who's building a house, who oh, needs to lay, who's doing whatever um and yeah it's all a bit mad well for, for me the what socialization i do with the neighbors is mostly at the gym because uh, luckily there's a, a gym in the village so obviously in lockdown times it's been ideal to just pop up there 20 minute walk away and uh keep looking after myself as it were so uh That's I've really kind impressive. of I, I've, I've become the guy that people talk to when they want to talk about rock music at the gym <laughs> Yeah, good. So that's that's not a bad place to be. So, um, okay, Dara, let's let's go back a little bit. So, okay, okay we, we've gone through like how we've met, which has been very unconventional, and like you know, we we don't know each other that well. So, I have lots of I have lots of stuff to ask you. I have a lot oh, of things. Oh, uh, that I hope. So. So let's let's go in on the music angle because we met me we met each other through metal and I you know that's that's where we're both at and uh, shout out to uh, a couple of uh, KV's friends Kim Volante's mates who are <laughs> Solstice fans in the US I have heard and they're oh. super excited to listen to this episode. Oh, um, oh. So- thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's really it's always very exciting. I think when you're like in a country like well, like Ireland or the UK, and then you're like, oh, there's a whole continent that like listens to our music. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, mate, like you've probably got to play in the US, have you? Uh, not yet. I'm technically not allowed back in the US for uh, <laughs> various uh, visa waivery type reasons. And, oh, tell uh, us more about that. Oh, then. Oh, no. We'll go about well, uh, about just shortly after I moved here, uh, I'd sold the house. I'd you know managed to actually make some money, even though it was a bit of a recession back then. Cleared off the mortgage, so I thought, what do I really want to do with my life? And 
At that point, I had an opportunity to go over to San Antonio, Texas and work on films. So uh, that was always been a lifelong dream to work in that kind of... uh, Yeah, very much my background. I went to film college, so I'm I'm with you. Uh, I didn't didn't quite make it that formally, but uh, I ended up interning uh, with a group of lovely uh, Mexican people called uh, The Darkness, uh, named after Tim Curry's character in Legend, not after the uh, rock band. But, uh, yeah... uh, but, but they were basically a horror special effects and film production company working out of a uh, warehouse uh, in the middle of the San Antonian wilds, in the, completely in the middle of nowhere. And uh, Texas, let's face it, it's a, it's a great place if you like scorpions, put it that way. So it was always, we're always fighting off some form of uh, fauna infestation that was going on in there. But uh, yeah, it was... Uh, very exciting experience. I got to cut my teeth on practical special effects, sculpting, sculpting, a little bit of acting, uh, some production work. So I was kind of on both sides of the camera while I was over there. Managed to wrangle my own IMDb page for my troubles, which was a, a nice bonus. But uh, the issue was that I was coming through on a visa waiver. And although I was interning, these guys were not technically paying me other than in tacos. So I had my food, I had my lodgings kind of worked out well. And for the first time I went over, and that was fine. And there's no complaints. Second time I went over, even though I'd requested to make sure it was still okay for me to go over, they noticed I was still on the full 90-day period of my uh, visa waiver. So they, uh, once I landed in Atlanta, they uh, took one look at me, half deaf and confused because I got the cheap seat next to the engine for eight hours. Mm. And uh, and that, 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 that was a great experience as well, just going from being uh, like living in Yorkshire for ages to going over to America. And there's this uh, whole eight-hour rebirth tube concept where I could go over there and completely reinvent myself as to whoever I wanted to be. Because Yeah, I feel no, like I as, as someone who grew up in the UK going to the US, like what were the kind of cultural differences or what were what you know what were the things that you loved about the US and what were the things that you loved about the UK then? Uh well I think the greatest thing that I took over there was my accents because so many people came up to me and just said, Daryl, I really, really trust what you're telling me. And it's like I don't have a clue what I'm saying, but because I have that slight gravidas of having a British accent, and they're so used to British actors in certain roles over there, they just they just lapped me up completely, and not as literally as I would have liked. But uh, but now it's just uh, in the end when I went there the second time, eight hour flight, all bleary eyed and confused, they took one look at me and uh, ticked me off on the bad list and uh, took me into the interrogation room for a while. So I'm there waiting for my connection, thinking, am I going to hit, make my connection? And uh, they're asking me, how can you afford to live for yourself over in America, live, live in America for three months? Where's your income? And I explain, you know, I was a computer programmer then, still technically am now. So I had money put by. I mm-hmm. think I had about two grand put by on a credit prepaid credit card. Mm-hmm. I said, that would be pretty decent, no? Yeah, but, but they said, how are you going to be able to live on that? And I just said, I'm going to... I'm actually said I'm going to buy food from supermarkets and I'm going to 
you know, cook for myself. Not living, a, not living in a five-star hotel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, they grumbled and groaned, but it ended up saying, okay, we'll let you in this time, but you can't come back in again. So uh, wow. it could be now, you know, thing, things are different. It's a brave new world over there. And uh, obviously my old passport expired. I could try again, but at the moment I've never really needed to, unfortunately. I had a <laughs> yeah, exactly. Has been a plague on all of our houses. <laughs> yeah, it's it, like literally, um, it's just been a nightmare for people in the arts. But I, I think, especially bands, because well, bands, bands in theatre. I'm in the theatre world. Um, you know, you can the films. Okay, whatever you can watch, you can stream a film online. You, you the. The live show, the live experience, the 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 thing of the the magic, the thing that I live for is the liveness of events. So theater the, and and music and the, being the in the audience. So tell me, experience. what 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 has COVID been like for you? Like the last three three years? I'm like I, I've lost all track of time. Time. <sighs> not have any meaning anymore i know like, it's what, like, I, what have you been able to do what have you not been able to do and how are you adapting i think the only constant in life is change and we are always constantly adapting to become the people we need to be given the circumstances we find ourselves in and i suppose pragmatically you know i'm still in the one band I've always wanted to be in all my life. Seriously, this is just like the ultimate fanboy experience for me being in Solstice. But obviously, I'm in Solstice. Are we gigging? No. Are we recording? Well, actually, I'm in the studio on Sunday just to lay down some bass. So, uh, okay, that's something to look forward to, guys. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just uh, the weird thing is for been been in the been in the band is that i've take uh for me at least i'm still in yorkshire uh but the rest of the band have bands scattered across the globe because they're stranded in different countries waiting to get back based on regulations and whatnot and obviously needing to be with people over in different countries so some of my band members i haven't seen or talked to for a while when we get everyone in the country when we can we have a rehearsal but uh unfortunately uh it has been a very disconnected experience and as obviously i you know i love the band a bit and i uh deeply grateful for the experience of being in the band but i just want to get back on and uh, play again but realistically we are in a situation now where live shows are becoming severely marginalised in favour of other entertainment options, which are slightly easier to manage. And I know mm. that... Uh, I remember, you didn't you guys have that uh, weird social media ev event thingy where you, you had everybody penned into little pens watching some generic disco music or something on a stage somewhere? And there was... It was, it was yeah, like I was directing media. a play online and it was it was just so odd. Like I'm directing a show with actors who are in their houses all across 
Dublin and the script was written by an author in the UK and you know part of it is like you know it's it, it, it the play is called a Marxist in heaven and it's about Marxism and it has so much movement and it's all about people coming together and like trying to direct that show with people <laughs> you can't be in the same space together uh, yeah like I, it's just been really challenging you know and you know someone who's been in been in a band and is in bands you just you need to be together you need to vibe off each other and and play with each other and be present and I was just I miss going to gigs so much like I've been to one one gig this year well that's uh more than a lot of people have managed but uh, I got really lucky in the middle of the year uh, one of my favorite venues down in London a little a little occult bar called Helgi's, uh, specialising kind of like do do. It's it's a combination doom metal, occult, psychedelic bar. So it's just every aspect of my interests are all intersect perfectly in this it place. It sounds amazing. It's it's it, it's it is my favourite haunt. Uh, well, one of the best places I've ever been to and felt at home in throughout throughout globe, uh, and yeah. Uh, the moment they, that gig started happening again, they had a doom metal band called a Parish on there. And that weekend, I was just straight on the train, straight down there, down the front, headbanging. And it's like it was—it just felt like a homecoming, because as much as regulations come and regulations go that tell us to restrain ourselves, tell us to restrict ourselves, there is that certain visceral need. A carnal need to be in the thick of it all with the music washing over you feeling the social connection you make from looking over at somebody who's enjoying the music and they're smiling back and as much as we've got our playlists and we've got a band camp and all of that it's not the same as the sheer confusion of being in a dark painted room somewhere with an overloud pa and as i've traveled around you because i do Back in the day, as as you notice with your metal. Back in the day, three years ago. <laughs> that like everything now will be like B, C and, <laughs> and B, C. Like before COVID and post-COVID. <laughs> but now it's... Uh, one thing I found is that no matter where I travel to, there's always the dark painted room and the overloud PA. And it's a constant in our culture because you know obviously if you're fans of a certain type of music you get on with a certain type of people and that's that's fair that's fair to say i think well what um, type is that Dara? oh good if question you think, uh, in, in like let's give it like five words uh i'd say five five words to describe the people that i hang around with Magical nonconformists with a sense of spirit and adventure about them. I don't know if that's five words or whatever, but it's it's a, a, adventurous I'll let you wait with it. I'll let you wait with it. So just trying to make it as short as possible. Okay, that, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I can definitely identify with that. So, okay, Daryl, talk to me about your journey into into art, into magic, into metal? Like, where 
Where did that begin for you? I think it began uh, in the 80s. And there was a kid at school, not me, this other kid, that people said, don't talk to that lad. Don't talk to that lad. He's not one of the cool kids. He's not one of the clever kids. He's he's a bit of a nerd. He's a geek, whatever. And thing is, I've come from a situation where I've never settled wherever I've gone because I've been bounced up and down the country wherever. So I've never, I've, I've usually been the outsider. And I saw this lad being bullied and picked on and I made a friend of him. And he was into, okay, bit. it was the 80s. We were like uh, just dipping into teenage years and he was into games workshop. So uh, that, and he's sort of getting into that kind of nerdy tabletop war game <laughs> behavior. And from that, that was the time when the uh, magazine they had, uh, White Dwarf, had a flexi disc on the front from a band called Sabat. So this weird sort of outsider nerdy sort of person actually introduced, started to introduce me into more extreme music. And that was about the limit of our contact. He was like this gateway of like interesting stuff. But then uh, Games Workshop then brought out uh, Bolt Thrower, uh, Realm of Chaos oh, pictured it. Wow. And so... And my idea of music at that point was heavily into stuff like Hawkwind and maybe some movie soundtracks because that was kind of like where my uh, attitudes lay. And obviously being uh, being a kid, not into drugs or anything, but into Hawkwind, that was a weird start of my life. But that's that's been a a weird that's a weird start. (laughs) Yeah. But uh I, I, I love this, by the way, because like I was born in 86 and I feel like I should have been born like 10 years earlier. <laughs> all of the music that I love is like, I like, you know, I, I grew up in the like the, the new metal kind of metal revival. And like for me, it was all about going backwards. And I'm just like, I would have loved to be in the thick of it in the 80s, like get, like buying because album- I was always like, Oh my god! This like this album that was released in '86 when I was born. Like, so many good albums were were released in '86. Like, so many great metal albums. Like, I feel like the year I was born was like, like the pinnacle of, of metal. And I was like, I fucking miss it. Like, if I had just been like a few years, if I had just been born earlier, like I could have totally like appreciated this a lot. <laughs> well, that's that, that's the thing. Uh... I, 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 to, to take things off in a slightly video game tra- track here, uh, there's a, a video game that came out a few years back called Brutal Legend, and it was like a sort of video game about heavy metal, and they had a, and it had a Jack Black doing the voiceover of uh, the roadie character in it, Eddie Riggs, and uh, play on uh, Eddie from Maiden and uh, Riggs, the uh, guy who did Maiden's artwork. But uh, at the start of it, he's there talking to another roadie and he just says you know what man do you want know i wish i'd been born in the 70s no 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 the early 70s and no that hits exactly when i was born and i just fell in love straight away it's like yep yep they're talking to me with this video game oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, I, it. Cool. I was, amazing, I was amazing born too late 
you know, someone should have had sex earlier. That's what I'm saying. So uh, Christian, Christian Catholic Garland has a lot of time. <laughs> uh, we, we've all been born too late, but uh, but uh, now for me, I didn't really get heavily into the music until I moved to Bradford in the early 90s. And previously, I've been living up in Sunderland and down south in Essex. So I've kind of like never quite settled and bounced up and down the country as my... Oh, why did you move so much, Daryl? What was that about? All right. Well, uh, basically, uh, my mother was from up north and my father was from down south. But uh, they never got on as well as they could do. So I was kind of bounced to custody one side of the country or another. So uh, I know it's it. It it is what it is. But uh, that's hence me having a really weird accent now because I've got this sort of like Heinz 57 combination of that that's accent. really funny because i could never play i couldn't i was like trying to figure out where your accent was from <laughs> but like people say the same with me because i was born in dublin but grew up in kildare so people always say oh you sound like a really posh dublin person but not also from dublin so <laughs> yeah i totally got that um, but no it's well for, for me at least i have a different accent depending where i was in the country when i learned the word i'm speaking so but yes yeah, so uh so from there yeah uh eventually settled in bradford in the early 90s and that was because i wanted to go to the university's uh, electronic imaging and media communications course which was you know this huge but when you say when you say bradford for me it, it conjures like because i know a little bit about the uk i know what Bradford kind of represents I've never been there for our US listeners like three words to describe Bradford <laughs> I'll be kind a beleaguered city a beleaguered city uh, it used to be in its heyday a huge textiles hub across the country Uh we had a lot of textiles, wool, etc., coming through, coming through the city. Uh, that changed as people's needs generally do, and uh, people would complain. Oh, Bradford, you know, we've had a lot of immigrants in. I see hardworking people wants to make a go, a go of their lives, and you know, can absolutely respect that. But the Bradford for me was a creative nexus. It was it was my creative hub. It was a place where I learned my place in life. Okay, that's really interesting. So, what is what is creativity or art for you? What does that mean? The creativity art, I'd say, art is a conversation. But but it's a mirror. It starts as a mirror. It starts as a dirty, filthy mirror you hold up to yourself, broken, scratched mirror, to try and capture an aspect of your internal metaphors internal structure which you build your personality build your sense of identity and self around and you hold that mirror up and you just capture something that speaks to you aesthetically but anyway you hold the mirror up to your soul and give a part of yourself capture it in the glass and that is the first step towards creating art you've captured a part of yourself that's private and internal and you've given it form. The second part of it, 
comes when somebody else comes along and looks into that mirror themselves. And just briefly, if they're willing, if they're willing to give a part of themselves to understanding who you are as an artist, you meet that gaze within the mirror and they see you and you see them in their interpretation of what you've created. And that's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, I, I find that fascinating because I, for me, the spectator is very much the person who makes something a piece of art rather than a sort of piece of self-gratification. So um, it's interesting for you to bring that up. I mean, you must have met people over the years who have sort of reflected that back at you, like, you know, fans or, or, or people who watch you or like, what is the kind of, you know, is there ever any kind of feedback that you've gotten or anyone that you've met or any stories you know, a, from a spectator's point of view of how their art has touched them or affected them in any, any way? I'd say that being in Solstice, uh, one of the first bands I got into when I moved into Brad, moved to Bradford in the early 90s, and I've been into the band as a fan for most of my life. I, they are a band which defines who I am as a musician. So playing in the band is just a dream come true. And before I was on stage, I was always one of the guys down the front there. And to be honest, when I'm playing, my heart's still with the guys down the front, the headbangers, the, the diehards, the people who've kept the support going. And it's weird because I don't see myself as being somebody, as, an, as a musician who plays to inspire people. I play because I'm honouring the music I grew up on. I'm honouring the feeling it gives me to listen to and accept that I get to actually jump up and down on stage for an hour. Well, okay, it's do metal, so there's not that much jumping. But uh, but no, I just feel that the pe some people I've talked to said they really enjoyed the show and I've really appreciated that. And it's just like, you know, I'm not... I'm just a conduit for the music that inspires me in that case. You know, it comes through me. I give it my own color. I give it my own interpretation. But I mean, these are, these are songs I've grown up on. And these are songs which are defined who I am as a person. Because, so I'm going to have this sense of ultimate gratitude that people are coming along and they're screaming and they're going crazy and they're pumping the air. However, However, people get into the music and they are enjoying what I'm doing. And I know it's like uh, you want art to be inspirational. You want art to mean something to other people. You want you want you, you want to make that connection. You you want you want to be acknowledged. You want to be recognised for what you do. And that single I've always carried with me, not just with uh, the music I do, but in the writing I do, my photography, etc. All my creative endeavours are really a sense of trying to make that connection and seeing that aspect of myself interpreted from a different perspective. And that's where the secondary person comes into play, the, the, the person who perceives the art. Mm -hmm. So how do they see me when I've got this perfectly structured internal image of myself, which has very little basis on reality? But uh, it, just, uh, it just really, for me, it's wanting to get what I do out there and see what people think about it. And mm. then 
Because they say, they say there about art being a self, you know, it's not just a selfish process because you could easily do things selfishly and say, okay, I'm brilliant, whatever. I'm going to write this down. I'm not going to share it. But if you're doing it, if you're making the effort to release something that other people are going to look at and interpret, then, of course, you know, I'm going to want to know what they think about it. And it's not mm-hmm. this hunger of needing to be acknowledged, needing to be recognised. It's just like curiosity. Yeah, like uh, there's a lot of stuff going on there in what you said. Like there's the sort of the, the conduit, the idea of like being being the, the vehicle between the art and the audience and, and, and also coming from... The perspective of, the, of being the spectator and who's now the spectator looking back at the other spectators and also a very communal experience and I you know I know that you like me practice magic and have a, an interest in the occult so how much does that sort of um thought process in terms of like your spiritual relationship how does that relate to the art that you create or your music i think that uh spirituality is a core tenet of creativity that you're essentially channeling channeling some form of i wouldn't say in what i do on stage with my bands it's that you know i'm that is an expression of joy. That is an expression of gratitude. You know, joy is a terrible word to say for doing metal, I admit. But that's... That's a beautiful thing to go on stage with, though. You know, like, uh, I'm actually going to take that on board myself. You know, like going on stage, like, I'm going on stage with like joy and gratitude. Because it is very much a place of privilege and and you do feel very fortunate anytime especially in these days uh, and you have you know the fortune the fortune of of being on stage and presenting work to people who are happy to listen or or give it some time you know exactly but uh, as far as the magical side of me goes uh Possibly as a result of getting into Games Workshop and Warhammer back in back in the 80s, I found a torturous route towards chaos magic in the 90s. And for that, uh, that was really came from me looking at the options which were suddenly widely available. Now I'm, you know, now 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 I can look beyond the little villages I was living in. Obviously, I was in Bradford, I had access to more knowledge, the uh, the beast with a thousand nodes, the internet just uh, manifested out of uh, mm. out of so Suddenly, I was sat atop a very, very poorly filtered uh, repository of the world's knowledge, and from that, I was starting to see the connections. Because, uh, as you may have noticed by the way this conversation's been jumping around, I don't so much see things in a linear sense. I see things as a hyperdimensional matrix. So uh, trying to navigate my thoughts through that pattern is uh, always fun. But I think it comes from looking at the various paths that people follow, the various uh, belief systems that they pin their, again, pinning their sense of self up against and noticing the similarities and realizing that a lot of magic is spicy psychology. 
And these are common aspects, common elements found throughout the world's cultures, just in different forms. I mean, there's always going to be an adversary. There's always going to be some somewhere along the line, there's going to be a virgin born child that comes around the winter solstice. You know, Christ, Mithras, whatever. It's like these are these are all common elements. And from that I realize it's not so much the person or the god, because a god is just an idea with delusions of grandeur. But uh it's the principles, it's how humanity projects their sense of self into the cosmos. And for curse magic, it's like, okay, we've got these concepts, we've got these archetypes where we want to invoke a certain sense of being in oneself. We want to achieve something, we want to manifest success. We want to manifest bravery. We want to manifest boldness, whatever. We need to achieve change within ourselves at some point. How do we do that? And look back and realize everybody has their own archetypes that become the, uh, it's, it's essentially their own private pantheons. And for me, I've always called my my system, the chaos magic, well, a chaos magic influence system as a uh, pick and myth philosophy in that you pick things from mythology that work for you. And you take that system which is unique entirely to how you've been brought up, entirely what you've experienced in your own life, because, you know, it's not a one size fits all concept. You know, you have to look inside yourself and you realize, OK, why am I attracted to this fictional character? Because, you know, they're all fictional characters in the end. So we, even we are fictional characters in somebody else's narrative. But uh, we are. You look look back at those aspects and how they resonate within yourself and you think okay i like the feeling that this concept brings to me how can i manifest this concept stronger in a stronger way so from that you realize that yep 99 percent of all of this is bullshit and pardon my language but that one percent that is the crucial thing that is the common core in every human experience and that is just the act of humanity trying to understand itself and from that on on that on that sorry to interrupt you Gerald but so why is why do you think there was something rather than nothing something rather than nothing okay that's that's that that, that's a good one I see why you brought me here right I have a think thinking about it is that at some point we've got we, we, we have a narrative, we have a fantasy, we have a, we have a mythology for the start of the universe. At the moment, it's called the Big Bang Theory. A couple of years down the line, it might be something else. Science never sleeps, and uh, we will discover more about this great origin point, this, you know, this, this great infinitesimal singularity from which the whole universe sprung from and kept expanding. At that point there was it wasn't so much there was something it wasn't there was nothing there was everything condensed in a single point in life in existence and for me that i mean it's 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 a theory it's all theories and they say there was a big bang and that point that singular point of everything 
expanded out into the universe we see today. Constantly expanding still, we look into where we think is the core of where it all started, and we see this radio pattern, this this this, this slight imperceptible change of heat in the universe. And within that, that is the reflection of everything that made us who we are. We're hydrogen trying to understand itself. And from that explosion, that complicated a mass of everything, we had a base element. They were flung out into the universe. We had complicated metals. They were flung out into the universe. And at some point, thousands, billions of years ago, a clump of those elements coalesced here around, you know, a, a yellow a yellow star somewhere floating around in space. And through physics, whatever that coalescence of elements revolved and revolved and revolved. It became a it became a ball. It discovered water, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and it became the planet we are on now. Now that is just the tiniest fragment of that everythingness that was at the start of it all and we look back and if somebody looked over at the map at this heat this background heat level of the universe everything we have amounted to all our hopes all our dreams all our gods all our cathedrals all our great citadels castles all our dominions, all our tiny, petty, pale blue dot quabbles that we have, it would be the tiniest nuance on that heat map. But something, something echoing in the back of our minds, something echoing in the back of who we are as beings, feels that everything that has become mathematically almost nothing. And as we come together, we I mean, we're all fractured beings. We're all fractured people. We hold up our mirrors and try to describe each other, describe ourselves to others through our art, through our creativity. We look back and we choose through our perception, through the tiny little lens that exists for about 70, 80, maybe 90 years, through which we can conceptualize the great everything, the great nothing, and everything in between, we can look back and we can say, I choose to make this something. I choose to make my moment here something because it's sheer bloody-minded stubbornness that makes us do that. But more than that, it's knowing that if we do reach out to people, if we do make our mark, if we do strive to become the people we want to be we strive to manifest who we can be we might make that connection somebody else might see us in that mirror that we hold up to ourselves and we might see them and through all that we might actually find something and that matters and that's what i live for can i just say we're all hydrogen <laughs> understand ourselves just <laughs> Oh, that, that is amazing. That's incredible. And and that's a spectacular answer. <laughs> <laughs> and much more complex, I think, than, than 
than probably my answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's been a few years. I've done a lot of thinking over here. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's always really interesting because it, it sounds like such a it's such a sort of simple question like why is there something and not nothing and you would expect it to be like because x or because y and it's really fascinating all of the different answers that people give um so Adara we're, we're I know you were kind of worried when we <laughs> when I proposed this to you because you were like oh I don't know how I'm gonna fill up all this time <laughs> You'll be really surprised to know we're on a we're like going into the forty-five minute mark now. Oh, excellent! Um, so tell me, how can people connect with you or connect with your with your work, with your art? Like maybe there's definitely going to be listeners who have no idea who the salsas are and not familiar with the music. In which case, go <laughs> you can check it out, you heathens. <laughs> okay, solstice-england.bandcamp.com for music. Uh, but if you want to connect with me, I'm currently working on getting my life organised in some manner of a, uh, club. <laughs> of a sort of website to cover all the crazy things I've done over the last uh, couple of decades. Uh, but for now, the easiest way, I suppose, would be to go onto Instagram. And uh, my Instagram handle is uh, at HeathenStorm. So H-E-A-T-H-E-N-S-T-O-R-M. And uh, that's a name that I kind of picked about 20 odd years ago now. And, you know, I like to think, oh, was it, is it, is it something profound? Is it something special? Is it something pretentious? Whatever. And I could look back and say, oh, yeah, Heathen Storm. That's King Lear on the Heath with uh, being plagued by his daughters or whatever. Oh, it's a psalm. Why do the Heathen Storm? Truth be told, it was my Xbox handle. And I thought it was really cool. <laughs> it is pretty cool, to be fair. Um, and then, so, like, how, how, is art looking for you in this sort of I mean in COVID times I would normally ask like in in the year ahead but like let's just focus on like you know the month ahead or like one is are there things in the I mean I guess the UK is more open than Ireland is a shambles right now things are closed at eight o'clock or like life is over at 8 p.m here and um, but I, I guess the UK is a bit more opened up and you can still possibly play gigs i don't know like what's the there are still gigs happening at the moment i'm kind of becoming more used to being in the little village in the middle of nowhere and it works out it's working out well for me i mean it's given me a chance to start off a lot more new creative processes i'm uh, working on a novel now and uh, i've also got my uh, big crazy project called uh, the servitor which uh, is uh, the sort of weird conjunction of where uh, magic meets machine learning. So uh, with that one, uh, I'm I'm basically, to uh, use the clincher, uh, teaching an artificial intelligence how to perform magic. And... uh, it's okay. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like have to, I'm gonna have to follow up on that one. That's <laughs> that is the, too interesting. That happen. is the that, that's that's the catching like phrase to bring people in. The uh, when you look at how the sausage is made, it's a, a lot more mundane, but things usually are when you realize how they work. And it's something that I've had going around my mind since I first got onto the internet back in the 90s. It's like people are 
you know, we've got this situation where everybody is connected online and they want to obviously be the best type of person they, they can be. They think they're connected online. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's something that, I, that came to be about a year ago. It actually got a name and uh, about a year ago, in fact, a year ago next week, I did some automatic writing and I just described a concept. And basically, we have this wake of data behind ourselves and we leave it behind ourselves uh, and it's been exploited quite heavily over social media. We've had our Cambridge Analyticas. They've mm -hmm. taken our data and how we post, what we post, etc. And we and have basically used it to try to try to subvert democracy by making every uh, important vote that is going on more or less 50-50 by constantly targeting the people who the algorithms predict will swing one way or the other. That's why Trump got in on a, about 50-50 thing. That's why Brexit came in almost 50-50. Any big vote these days where there's enough sufficient interest in is being subverted by artificial intelligence technology. Now... I didn't know this as much other than in a great, the grandiose sci-fi concept, did a lot of research into that last year. And it's data science, it's pattern matching. And if there's one thing that is also, can also be ascribed to pattern matching, it's synchronicity, magic. It's that you look for patterns in your life that have correspondences. So... You know, you 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 pick up Crowley's seven 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 off the shelf. It's just a load there, of tables. There was magic early data science. <laughs> it's spicy data science magic. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> it's observing, ob observing changes. Now, regardless of whether people believe in astrology or not, there's two there's two facts here. The people who believe in astrology believe in astrology. And the patterns of the stars are trackable, are cyclical, and the data. You know, you, the physical position of stars, etc., how it has been interpreted as the zodiac, has been interpreted as the personality traits of people born in those particular month windows. Now, given that, though, that is data... The weather is data. You know, you can look back and say, okay, in social media, when, you know, the sun was in the cusp of pistachio or whatever, you know, you don't have to have any, any specific <laughs> names here. When the sun was in the cashew nut of the, of the morning. <laughs> but that's, a, that's a thing. It's like the stars don't look down on us and say, okay, that person was born underneath me. I'm going to influence them. It's an observation made from within for, that projects our sense of self out into the cosmos. So, knowing all of that, we've got the position of the stars as data elements. We've got whoever. We've got what people post online. We can match the. We can use semantic analysis, and that's you know really really common these days. Work out exactly what type of tone, what type of mood a person is in when they post something. We can look at the pictures they post. Are they posting a lot of selfies? Is there a reason why they're posting selfies? Check the eyes. Check the mouth. Do they match? Are they sad in their eyes but happy in the mouths? Things like that. Oh, Facial analysis. Freaky, Daryl. This is so <laughs> mental. 
And this is all stuff that we give willingly and yeah. it has been weaponized against us. Now, what I'm suggesting is that we uh, use these to feed an engine. I call it the uh, apophenia engine. It's basically finding these patterns in what we do and matching them together and, and analyzing them to say, okay, am I, like last year at this time, for this particular set of stars, this particular weather, whatever, you were in this type of, you were in this mindset and you didn't want to be in that mindset. How can we improve your mindset now? How can we manifest a better version of yourself? First, you're aware of that. Now you need to communicate back to the user. How can you explain that? And uh, how, how can you achieve that change in a person? Now, the thing about magic is, uh, you know, somebody, yeah, they're, 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 there's probably some person out there who reads a lot of books and they said, no, 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 that's not magic. That's not magic. You know, your computers don't do magic, <laughs> but people do. And by influencing through, see, I mean, you're familiar with sigil magic, aren't you? That's you mm -hmm. do, you, you manifest your intent in a yeah, friend, scribble out, like scribble out the vowels. It's so fascinating because I, I guess like I think one of the most kind of extreme sort of examples I've heard of this being exploited is like Spotify sort of capitalizing on your algorithm of your what songs you're playing. Do you know what I mean? So they're like, oh, you know, Rachel plays these kind of songs and we can correlate them with her, you know, like Spotify knows what fucking mood I'm in. That's mad. Like, well, you know, my family don't know what mood I'm in. My friends don't, <laughs> but Spotify fucking knows. Like, because I've played, you know, X song or I've listened to a certain podcast or whatever. And, and it, it, the thoughts of that being weaponized against you. But what you were talking about is like a, a, a more positive kind of almost mental health uh, approach of like... Uh, the democratization of it. Yeah, we've noticed that you're you might be a bit, you know, angry today. Like, do you want to? Well, I don't know. How do you how do you deal with that information? Like, what what is the follow up? How do well by, for example, suggesting maybe you want to listen to something else on Spotify. Now, when all this started, I became very very aware of how artificial intelligence tracks me. It's like you mentioned Spotify, and. The machine learning algorithms they have there did something terrifying. Now, uh, if you go back to uh, Donald Rumsfeld, you know, we have the great warmonger and his great comment about there's things we know, there's things we don't know that we know, there's things we know that we don't know, etc. But the crucial one is the like things Mr. that Harry's we don't know. window, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, the uh, things that we don't know that we know are the interesting ones because they're the ones where we've got all the data there, but we didn't know it was happening. And we didn't make that correlation. And it happens with Spotify. And it came up like last year because I chose to make myself aware of this. And now what the thinker mm -hmm. thinks, the prover proves. So I said, okay, I'm going to be aware of this. Let's see it happen. And it started, I was listening to one band and it started to recommend stuff that I really liked from completely unrelated genres. And it was just like looking into what my private playlist would be if it was on Spotify. And it just terrified me. It's like, okay. But it so, is on Spotify. That's the terrifying so, thing. Well, well, 
I'm listening to black metal and then it recommends some witch hazel, Christian rock, you know. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry, Christian true metal, I do apologise there, but not the type of thing that you'd expect from listening to black metal. And it understood all of this about me. And that was absolutely fascinating because it's the unknown knowns that are falling out the bottom of all these algorithms and all these neural networks. And it's fascinating for sense. Actually, the unknown knowns are are knowns. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's it's things that we don't know that we know about ourselves. And it's known things that... knowns that should be unknown. <laughs> the unknown knowns, boy, thought. But anyway, uh, what, what, what's, what's come out of all of that is now we know this, and especially with Spotify, it just track what type of mood your music is, and it can work out whether you're happy and sad from that. That's that's low-hanging fruit. I can just pull that up today. But more complicated analysis of, like, the images we post and how we post and what colors we use, especially, how that relates to going back to Crowley 777, all, all the tables. Okay, okay, we've got you, you got your queen's color scheme there, right? Okay, what does yellow mean there? What planet does that mean, et cetera? How does that relate to the astrology data that we've pulled in? Things like that. Well, you know, when you say it, like, that, it's no, like as I read tarot cards, it's no different than being like, oh, you're drawn to this tarot card or that card or like, and is there a huge amount of difference? It's like, it's a decision that someone's made that you can read into, you know? Whether they know they've made it or not. Yeah. And the, funny you should mention tarot because what this ultimately creates on the other side is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the toys that people are playing with now, uh, media synthesis toys, where they like type in a phrase into an artificial intelligence thing and it creates artwork for them. No, what is this? Oh, right. I think there's one called a Wumba or Wumba, something like that. Uh, I'll, I can send you the link afterwards or whatever. But I've been playing a lot with that as a sigil visualization engine. And at, at the end of it, so we want, we don't have the intent of a person writing down a sigil. We want to create something that would correspond to their subconscious in the same manner. So again, we look at what they've been posting. Okay, we want somebody to, to remind themselves at home. Where were they born? Like, uh, you, know, I mean, you, you say you were born in Dublin, lived in Kildare things like that so if you wanted to be reminded of a time when you were in Kildare and that gave you a certain sense of mental a, a certain mental space mm -hmm. then you could throw out into this image generator throw out a uh, image sourced using some landmarks from around Kildare that, that would resonate with you personally as a form of your own personal tarot generated based on the personality that the servitor believes you've uh, created, that, that believes who you are. So by learning who you are from how you've posted and when you've posted, etc., and anything else you choose to willingly give it, it can then work out who you are and then resonate with that level of your subconsciousness. Again, throw in some sigils, use a bit of gematria, knowing what your favourite planets are, throw out the words and concepts, put them, merge them together, create a video or a image that you can look at and say okay think about this for a while how does this make you feel and then by looking at how you felt before you've come into the system and how we come in afterwards i believe and 
in my analysis in the prototypes that I ran. I mean, I ran the first uh, renderer of the like first prototype of it yesterday. Fair enough, it's very very glitchy, so I wouldn't wouldn't recommend people tune in if they're uh, if they're a sensitive disposition. Well, if they but wanted to, how would they tune in? It's on uh, my Instagram. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's something I call glitch magic, and it's really finding a way to speak to the subconscious, because ultimately, in or- when you declare your intention in sigil magic, chaos magic. You write down what you want to do. You make a squiggle out of it. You enter a gnosis state while observing the sig- uh, observing the sigil. Mm-hmm. And you know, for 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 the sake of folks at home, I won't explain what that entails. And uh, uh, and then you discard the sigil because at that point, that image has embedded itself in your subconsciousness, and you don't realize it. And you will subconsciously then, spicy psychology, end up uh, trying to manifest that concept through your actions, through being aware of synchronicities in the real world and through observing. So essentially what Servitor is, yep, it's magic. It's the process of understanding who you are and understanding what it takes to make you the person you want to be. And, you know, it's like I needed a hobby during lockdown. <laughs> so I figured imminentizing... That is, that is one hell of a hobby. <laughs> Immunitizing the Eschaton seems as good a hobby as any. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It seems, you know, and, and, you know, like I said, it seems to like tap into people's wellness and their, their headspace and where they're at. And I think most of us can identify with struggling with those things over the last, exactly. the last I mean, year or two. And, and the thing is, now I've said it. Now I've actually, this is the first time I've actually declared it in something resembling a public forum. I've had some trusted friends that I've worked on with it over the last year now. It's starting to work for them. Uh, a friend of mine, I call her the Woodwoman, uh, after Bathory, she is a sort of Danish shaman. She has started using the principles in her own work. And uh, yep, she has started, you know, she's now one of my main contributors because she's realize that hold on there is something that works here and we're still stitching it together slowly because you know this could be this could be my magnum opus this could be my lifelong project i don't know mm-hmm. but i do want to work on it i do want to continue with what i've discovered just because i think there's some worth in it and it is about empowering people it's not about taking their data and using it against them weaponizing their online existence because everybody lives online these days and how many people have had their social lives reduced to staring at screens and looking at video cameras? Well, look at us right years. now, you know. Exactly. Here we are and we should have met in the in the mountains twice. <laughs> this is the last time that we met. But um, yeah, so if you're trying to find Daryl, it's at Heathen Storm, which is H-H-I-H. H- <laughs> but if you're English, it's probably H- Hate e a t hate e n s t o or m. Daryl, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, and thank you to KV Camvalante for uh, allowing this Irish Irish takeover. I feel like there might be more ahead. (laughs) 
because you know everyone needs a bit of a break everyone needs to stop everyone needs to take a take take a day out and a holiday and all the rest um daryl i'll hopefully see you in June? June-ish. If, if the mountain June. is happening and they let me out of the country, most definitely. If not, I'm certain we shall cross paths at some future yeah. juncture. Yes. Uh, it's been so nice to talk to you. This is Something Rather Than Nothing, 